So we just wrapped up session four in the uh, technology and social media series. And this session focused all on our identity. Digital technology and social media has changed the way we think about our identity, who we are, and how we appear to the world. And that's not insignificant. That has some serious consequences. So how are we being trained to think about our identity and other people's identity? Um, Are we able to control our identity? And probably the most important question of all is, how do I live a genuine and authentic life in the digital world? These were the questions that we sought to address in this session. began this session talking about how we live in a mediated reality, and I explained to the students that what I mean by that is that there is a screen that stands between us and the rest of the world. So for, for us, much of life is experienced through a screen. So what are the consequences of this mediated reality? Is this necessarily bad? Um, well, in one sense, mediated reality affords us many things that we could not otherwise experience. Like it gives us a greater reach with our relationships. Uh, We can FaceTime family and friends and loved ones, even though they're miles away or maybe even another country. Um, Mediated reality also gives us a look into the global world and not just our local experience. So we can see how people in India and Africa live and This perhaps paints our own experiences in a different light. And so while there are some positive changes that come with a mediated reality or some things that it affords us, there's also some dangers. And I think the biggest danger that I wanted to hit with our students was this, is that because we live in a mediated reality, because we experience most of our life through a screen, then our vision of the world is filtered tinted, and modified by the media through which we view it. When we observe the world and other people, and also when others observe us, it is mostly a representation of reality and not reality itself. So we see what is going on in the world by viewing a representation of that reality in a video on the news. We see others by seeing how they represent themselves on social media platforms like Instagram and Facebook. And we long to be known and identified by how we represent ourselves on the internet. So everything is filtered, which means everything is this fusion, this mixture of reality and representation. Reality is the way things are, and representation is the way things appear. And these things aren't always at odds with one another. Um... But there's the possibility that the way things are can be different from the way things appear. I used the example of a news story. We see major news networks do this all the time. One news network takes a story, a set of facts or reality, and represents it in a certain way. And yet another news network takes that same story, the same set of facts for the most part, and represents it in a different way. So people who had the story communicated to them on one network understand and experience reality differently than people who had the story communicated 
to them on another news network. So the key thing to recognize in all of this is that both sets of people experience the story according to a representation or filter of the story and not necessarily the reality. As Again, not to venture too far into the complexity of all this, we can simplify it by saying this. Much of our lives and experience of the world is mediated, and this means that we mostly experience representation more than reality. So with the increase in mediation, there's a higher possibility of us observing things only as they appear and not as they really are. This sets in motion a big struggle for, for truth and a battle for authenticity that is outfitted with weapons of experience, which are really powerful weapons. Because our experience of the world not only provides us with tools how to discern truth and live rightly within the world, it also determines much of how we seek to understand our identity and how we seek to represent ourselves to others. And so this is the key. How you see the world represented determines how you will seek to represent yourself in the world. So while it's critically important to understand that our experience of the world is mediated, it is even more important to see how the mediated reality consequently forms a mediated identity. Because we experience the world in the form of a filter and a representation, we therefore seek for others to experience us in the form of representation. We, we begin to form our identity not around who we really are, but rather how we long to represent ourselves. And this is what results in a mediated identity. Another way to say this is we've become digitally disincarnated. So our identities have become a blend between our real-life face-to-face persona and our represented online persona. So while our identity has always consisted in some blend of reality and representation, the digital age has increased the quantity and quality of our representation. So due to the world that exists online and our smartphones, our identities have become subject to more mediation than ever before. And with that, we become what I've um, read in a book by Tim Challies called Digitally disincarnated, which means that our identity um, is more expressed oftentimes outside of our flesh and blood in our real life face-to-face persona and is projected more in our online persona. We begin to be identified more by how we appear online rather than how we appear in person. And we could go in a ton of directions with that. This could be a a long, long series if we just even focused on this piece of identity. But there are a few things that we want to note that were dangerous about this or that are the consequence of this that we need to look out for. So there are four things. Number one is highlight reels. It's only natural that once we set out to represent ourselves that we want to represent the good and approvable aspects of who we are in our experiences. We see this with selfies. You know, you take the selfie at the right angle with the lighting that best models your face or your body. Um, We see this with 
the young mom, she's prone to share the video of her kids laughing or doing something funny or cute. Not prone necessarily to share the screaming fits of rage and, and all that. Or the newlyweds, they're inclined to share the honeymoon pictures in Hawaii, but they're not prone to share the argument that ensued um, about how to best get on the plane and all this stuff, right? So this isn't necessarily bad. This is just a natural inclination in us that because we have an opportunity to be known by a representation and not by reality, we're going to be known more by our highlight reels. And this depiction of life and construct of our identity places us more and more out of touch with reality that's filled with highs and lows, hills and valleys. And by only representing ourselves by our achievements, good qualities, and great experiences, we're actually discouraging people from being honest about the, the hardship, struggles, and suffering that every single one of us are facing. And if we don't encourage people to be honest about their struggles, then we'll never into a process of reform, transformation, and growth. That's really, really important. So highlight reels, that's one of the things we see with um, a mediated identity. Number two is there's a spirit of competition. Because what happens is a vicious cycle begins to, to come into play. The more we observe other people's highlights, the more that we assume their life is only filled with good moments and awesome experiences. So we respond in a similar fashion. Uh, it's what Kathy... Um, Coke has noted as the perfection infection, the perfection infection. We post our highlights, other people post their highlights, and the representation is such that all is awesome, all is going great, and we're being twirled around in this cycle of viewing and sharing our life's highlight reels, and we slowly feed this competitiveness. And so as we observe other achievements we immediately begin to weigh them against our own. And we seek to measure our life alongside the metric of their success. Unfortunately, since our measurements are often weighed against an unrealistic standard, right, one that does not consist in actually seeing the other person's failures and defeats, we spiral into a pit of discouragement. We observe how great their life is as it's represented to us, and we compare that with our reality and it leads us into misery. So many studies have shown that people who are more prone um, to have um, greater activity on social media um, have greater amounts of anxiety and depression. And those, that science is, is pretty well solidified in the sociological and psychological fields of today. Now, there's multi-varied reasons for that, but we, we have to admit that this is some of the reasoning that we can apply to those studies that we see other people's lives, they're so great as they're represented, and we know the reality of our own life doesn't match up to that, right? So this, instead of just being discouraged, though, we often quickly try to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, in a sense, and outperform their representation that we see. So this competitive impulse in us drives us to showcase a better representation of our experiences and ourselves. And again, that's not helping anyone. That's actually feeding the vicious cycle. Number three, there is a culture of performance. 
Um, these devices and networks encourage us to live life on a stage. We can document every moment and share every moment of our life. Whether people want to see it or not, we can share every moment of our life if we wanted to. And it kind of starts telling us or preaching at us that we're reality TV stars. And um, the amount of time and, and skill and effort we used to share or broadcast or promote ourselves by posting the perfect picture, the most captivating video, or most intriguing um, commentary on social events. These things begin to slowly replace real-life experience. There was this one study that showed they let all these people go into a museum, and as people were going through the museum, um, they gave one group digital cameras, and they didn't give one group uh, digital cameras, and then they quizzed them at the end on like what they saw and what they experienced. And the people who did not capture anything, right, who weren't walking around the museum taking pictures, remembered less. Or no, no, no. The people that were not taking pictures remembered more than the people who were taking pictures. And the simple truth is this. We can allow ourselves to get caught up capturing the moment rather than experiencing the moment. We're more concerned with getting pictures and video of the concert or sporting event rather than actually being present at the concert or sporting event. It's like that kid, I shared this story on Sunday, um, that kid at the Super Bowl halftime show when Justin Timberlake's like going through the crowd and like Justin Timberlake comes up to this one kid and this kid, you know, obviously shell-shocked, it's Justin Timberlake standing next to you. And what does he do? He grabs for his phone to get a selfie and he's like struggling to get his phone and all this stuff. And I'm like, dude, just experience this moment. You're, you're there next to JT at the halftime show of the Super Bowl. Like, just live it. You don't need to capture it on your phone. And also, you're being filmed. Like, <laughs> But he was so concerned about capturing the moment that it affected and probably distorted his real-life experience of the moment. And we do the same thing. We're more concerned with looking like we enjoyed a nice devotional time in the morning rather than actually doing a devotion in the morning, right? Why is this? It's because we're more concerned with utilizing our experiences as a means to impress other people than we are interested in enjoying it for ourselves. We're more interested in representing our lives as a performance for others to admire rather than living our lives. So, um, that's number three. We have a culture of performance because every moment uh, can be shared. Number four, I think this one's the most important. All of this has created a greater desire for authenticity because here's the irony. All of us know what's going on. We're not ignorant of the fact that people put a filter on their photos, take it at a right angle, edit it, Photoshop, whatever. We, we know the fabrication that exists all around us. And while we may engage in it ourselves, deep down, there's a greater desire for everybody just to take off the masks, clear the filter, stop the performance, and just be real. The mediated reality and our mediated identity leaves us empty, ultimately, and create in us a greater craving for authenticity. So in a world that is more mediated than ever, 
we desire authenticity more than ever. We live in a world that's craving for authenticity. And if we want to be good witnesses to Jesus Christ, then we need to be authentic people. The greatest hindrance to the church is hypocrisy. It always has been. It's people who say they believe and want to live in a certain way, but their actions and the way they really are don't match up to that. So if we want to be an effective witness to Jesus, we have to be authentic. So how do we live an authentic life? Well, it begins with understanding who we are in Christ. As Christians, we have to understand who we are in light of the biblical story. And we we can do that by looking at the three uh, main chapters, creation, salvation, and restoration. Understanding our identity, uh, as the Bible describes creation, is that we are made in the image of God. As human beings, our identity is found in being an image bearer of God, meaning we're supposed to glorify him and point to him. That's our purpose in life. Our identity is wrapped up in being an image bearer of God, and our purpose is to glorify him and enjoy him forever. But we know that as human beings, we have sinful hearts. There was this thing called the fall, and our ability to glorify God and enjoy him forever has been corrupted. So our power to fulfill that purpose of our identity is fundamentally broken, right? So that's part of our identity, that we were designed to glorify God and enjoy him forever, but because of our sinfulness, it's fundamentally broken. And yet we know that there is salvation. God himself, Jesus the Son, entered the world in the form of a man, flesh and blood, so that he could restore in us the image of God and give us the Holy Spirit to once again fulfill our purpose as human beings. So through the perfect life, atoning death, and resurrection of Jesus, our identity as human beings is being fulfilled. Therefore, if we want to experience our identity that God has designed us for, then we must find our identity in Jesus. So the last part of our Christian identity is wrapped up in our hope, in restoration. That through Jesus, we will one day experience full restoration and the redemption of our bodies. We have been saved and experienced new birth in Jesus, yes. That's part of our identity, a critical part. But we also look forward to a day when all things are made new under Jesus' lordship. So our identity is one that we are yet to fully experience although it's already been sealed in the gospel. As a Christian, we have not yet fully experienced who God has already called us in Jesus. That is a radical concept, that our identity is already one in what Jesus has accomplished, so we can rest not by our own achievements, but by the accomplished achievement of Christ. So my, my identity as a Christian is not defined by how I represent myself online, by my social media profile, or by my appearance in general. My identity is rooted in the gospel, the story of scripture, how God has made me, saved me, and will ultimately restore me. So that's our identity. And that means if we want to live an authentic life, we have to live in such a way that resembles the gospel that we are people who have been made in the image of God, saved by Jesus, and who will be fully restored under 
Jesus' lordship for God's glory. So this is um, where I gave some nudges and disciplines for how they as Christians, students and myself, we can live as authentic Christians in this world. So there is, we started with some nudges, some things that will help shape our perspective in the right direction. Number one, care more about how God sees you rather than how other people see you. This is easier said than done, right? It's easy to tell a teenager, man, you don't have to care about what those guys say because God calls you this. He calls you a child of God or daughter. It's easy to get wrapped up in how you appear and what these girls are saying about how you look, but you're a child of God. You can care more about what God says. It's easy to say that, but um, it's much more difficult to have that perspective, but it has to start there. I mean, we really have to get it to the center of our, our heart's affections and desires. And we have to begin there by caring more about how our Father in Heaven sees us than how other people see us. So that's the first nudge. Number two, prioritize face-to-face communication and relationships. Um, in the written material, I talk a lot about what mediation kind of looks like in the biblical story. I'd really encourage you to kind of go look at that. Um, but basically, the, the main point is this. God prioritizes face-to-face, unmediated communication with us. That's how we were designed in the garden, and that's how we will be restored in the new earth, is we'll see God face-to-face. So if our um, priority with God in communication is face-to-face, then our priority with other people should be face-to-face. Um, if the ideal means of communication be- between God and man is unmediated, then that's also the ideal communication between humans. We see this with Paul when he's writing his letters. He's always like, I want to see you face-to-face, but I'll write a letter instead. So our deepest and most satisfying relationships are experienced through unmediated contact and communication. And we should, because of that, prioritize face-to-face communication and relationships. That's a good nudge to help us with this difficult topic of having a mediated reality. Now, here are some disciplines, some hard decisions we might have to make if we're going to um, live an authentic Christian life in, uh, in this digital age. Number one, think purpose, purposefully about what you share and how you represent yourself online. I gave them a list of questions to maybe ask themselves before they post, like, will this glorify God or will this glorify me? Will this build up or tear down? Will this instill false hopes in others? Will this misrepresent me? But the simple fact of thinking about why you post and what's the purpose of you posting is such an important discipline that we need to instill in our students. Second discipline, do not hide your hardships, struggles, and sufferings. As Christians, we can embrace the fact that we're in the process of being made more and more like Jesus. And that means we're going to fail. We're going to mess up. um, We're going to have some suffering. We're not yet perfect. But we are in a process of becoming more and more like Jesus. And um, we can be honest about that and open about that. Now, we don't just need to post online about all of our difficulties and struggles. 
but we need to learn a healthy practice of confession. So find a way to confess your sin with someone. Share your struggles and hardships with a brother and sister in Christ. And then after you've begun that process of confession and healing with a face-to-face relationship, think wisely about maybe how you could use your hardship as a way to encourage others. So number three, the last discipline is seek for others to find their identity in Jesus and the gospel story. The identity we are given by God in the gospel is not something that we should keep to ourselves. It's offered to all humanity. So we should live out our identity as people like Jesus by seeking for others to find their identity in Jesus, because that's what Jesus did. He sought for people to know him and to be reconciled to the Father. So in, uh, in order for others to fully experience who they are meant to be, who they're destined to be, we must point them to Jesus. And this is the biggest point. The greatest way people will find their identity in Jesus is not necessarily by us preaching at them or arguing with them. It's by them authentically seeing others living out their identity in Jesus. Jesus said people will know that um, we are his disciples by our love for one another. So when we authentically love in the way that Jesus loved, people will see that we are his disciples. The greatest way people will find their identity is in Jesus is when we authentically live out our identity in Jesus. 